Hello and welcome back to Study Plus. My name's Brian Weed. I'm here with Mike Foch. Sep, I'm here and you're here. We're both here. And Mike is teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians here at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia on Wednesday nights. You're all invited out if you're in the greater Philadelphia area. 7.30 Wednesday nights here at church. Mike is uh, already forged through 11, 10 yeah. and a half chapters or so. Yes. Right? And Study Plus is the podcast where we look at an issue that is brought up or addressed in one of the in the passage that Mike studied and looked at on a Wednesday night and we just uh, take a little extra time maybe time that we're not going to take on a Wednesday night necessarily to cover but still helpful discussions especially things that maybe take us a little bit off of the actual scripture that the scripture points us to and this is going to be one of those topics uh, where this is something that comes up in this passage but actually applies to other passages and just a general uh, principle for reading, especially the New Testament. So I'm going to give us just a summary of the scripture, Mike, and yeah. uh, exactly what we're going to be looking at. So today. we went through first Corinthians 11, two through 16, which is speaking about head coverings and Paul's addressing that topic in the church. Really, again, you can listen to the whole study, but he's instructing them. He really doesn't even, uh, correct them in the same way that he did with a lot of these other issues. He's, yep. But he's instructing them that some of their practice in regard to head coverings is blurring the lines between male and female and the headship that God created in the order of creation. So we walked through that and kind of talked about it and then talked about in the end application that what Paul is commanding is not that everybody in every church, in every day and age, wear head coverings. That was the symptom, but that every believer, every saved man and woman that's redeemed in Christ Jesus needs to acknowledge God and his headship and their place in the created order uh, in how he made them. So obviously that has a lot of different applications, but that was the main focus of the passage. But the, the topic of whether or not everyone should wear head coverings lends itself to some of this other discussion. Yeah, so it brings up this kind of issue. What can we learn from this passage and other passages like it about the way that Christians are to understand things in the New Testament that give us commands or directions that are more like this? So there are things in the New Testament writings which on their first reading might sound like their commands for all times. And most of us probably know if we've been around Christian circles for any length of time that there are people who practice what they think Paul is talking about in terms of head coverings, mm -hmm. their best interpretation of it when they go to church gatherings because they think, well, it says we should do it, so we should do it. So it's not that you couldn't read this and think this is a command that we're supposed to obey for all times, but as you pointed out, and I do recommend everyone just listen to that study that Mike did, uh, as you pointed out in the study, Mike, there's lots of reasons just in the passage itself and in 1 Corinthians why we're, we're saying it, that's actually probably not what Paul was doing. So when you run into one of these scriptures that it might kind of sound like a command, it's a command, but it's you read it and you go, oh, but this is not a command for all time. 
how, how do we know that? How yeah. can we tell when we're reading these scriptures? And so what we're going to say look at today is we know that by the way they're written right on the surface of things. We know that by the way the New Testament teaches us about the leading of the Spirit in guiding the life of a believer in general and the kinds of things that the teachings of Christ and the New Testament give us about how the Christian life works yeah. in terms of obeying God. Yeah, there's a lot of things like this that pop up. Obviously, we went through Romans not that long ago. In Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in Colossians, in a lot of these New Testament churches, there was a lot there was various practices, some taken from Judaism, some taken just from their culture that Christians were doing uh that Paul necessarily, he wouldn't say they're not Christians anymore or something. They just needed to learn something more about the Lord to help them work through these issues, whether it was the Sabbath or the dietary laws or circumcision or eating meat, sacrifice to idols, all these kind of various things, the head coverings. There's a lot of issues like this um, and also like whole biblical issues. So not even just New Testament, also Old Testament, how, how do we read the whole Bible together? We could right. say um, tithing would be one of those issues where there are believers that say everyone should tithe. Um, that's not a bad thing. We wouldn't say they're not believers, but what we would say is when you read the whole Bible, you don't find the command to tithe in the New Testament the same way that you would in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. So we would say, obviously it's clear that's not what God is trying to establish. There's giving that's mentioned a number of different times, but um, there that's another one of these issues where you say, okay, do I, do I need to tie? Do I have to give 10% of my mint and cumin? <laughs> And everything in my life to truly honor the Lord. Is that a command? How do I know whether that's a command for me or not? And it's interesting on that issue, Mike, it's to the Corinthian church that Paul writes really what are probably the most specific, I'll say commands, directions on giving in the New Testament. Yeah. But they are about a specific thing. It's a lot like this head covering issue there, about a specific thing that was going on. He gives instructions on giving and collecting money in the church, but it's only for really, when you read it, this collection that Paul was taking to support the church in Jerusalem. It was Mm -hmm. like this occasional really project they were working on. And then you get these instructions on giving, but it was really telling this church how to collect for this, this situation. And in doing so, you get some, I guess we could say, timeless truths yeah. for all Christians about giving to the Lord's work in general. Yeah. There's a nice little basis here, too. So there's tons of discussions like this, and we think the head covering one lends itself to that. Um, but a nice little basis, because if you live any type of length in Christian circles, you're going to have all different types of views as to different commands and stuff. Um, and again, a lot of these things, we're not saying somebody's not a Christian, but there's a difference between saying something's okay to do versus you have you to have do this to do thing it. or you're living in disobedience. So even the head coverings, we wouldn't tell somebody that they couldn't do that or that it was wrong. We would say, in fact, if that's your conscience, you should. 
But we're just saying the New Testament is not commanding that everyone has to do that. Otherwise, they're living in direct disobedience to the Lord. So a nice little formula that that we didn't make up uh, (laughs) is set up between uh, Christ and the Gospels, the book of Acts, and then the New Testament epistles, if you want to throw that out there for them. Yeah, so you'll hear people sometimes saying, this is great, right? Like Mike said, this is in the podcast original. Uh, What is said and what has been sort of worked out over the years is, here's the formula for, for knowing that you found something in the New Testament that all Christians need to practice. It's taught directly by Jesus in the Gospels. You see it practiced in the book of Acts, and then you see it expounded on or explained by the apostles in the letters to the churches. So it's taught by Jesus, practiced, and then expounded in the letters. And and so when you see that sort of thing, you realize, oh, this is something I need to do. You know, communion would be one of those things, the breaking of the yeah. bread to remember the body and, and blood of the Lord. So uh, that would be one example. Uh, but, you know, this issue of head coverings is mentioned one time in a letter to a church that mainly addresses particular problems that that church was dealing with. So it seems like Paul was giving here occasional specific solutions to the Corinthian church by showing them, and to to use some of the language you were working with, Mike, showing them how to apply timeless truths to the particular problems they were facing in their gatherings. Yeah, So, and there's a lot of other things like this. So one of the commands that's directly given five times in the scripture is to greet my brethren with a holy kiss. So do I have to greet you with a holy kiss every time I see you? I don't know how I missed this. I never noticed that. <laughs> this just, right? Evidently, I look, I'm not even willing to directly answer your question. <laughs> I never you noticed that. beard and I don't it's, want yeah, to. Until we saw this, <laughs> I was like, oh yes, five times. Yeah. This is commanded. If you just want to use that yes, language, because sure. it is. Uh, But the point is not that the command to kiss each other was a universal command. And the thing I kept thinking is, you would think that something that's said five times in the epistles is something all Christians have to do, but it's clearly not that sort of a thing. The the point is, Christians need to show that they love each other when they gather. It needs to be obvious. These people are excited to see each other because they love each other. They have real, solid, healthy community. And in the culture of that day, the kiss of greeting was the way to do that. Yeah. And I think the thing that, that helped me was to realize in that culture, if they had shown up to church and not kissed in greeting, it would have been to communicate something. It would have been to communicate like a, an emotional coolness, a lack of love towards each other. Yeah. We're not cool with each other. And anyone who was there would have noticed it. And so Paul's like, make sure you do the thing that shows you really like each other, you really love each other, you have real community. So that means we need to do whatever would show our world we have real family, real brotherhood, yeah. real love. When people show up, they should just immediately see like, oh, these people like each other. Whereas if they, what they sense is these people don't actually like each other that much, that's going to break down our witness to the world. So that was a great one. Yeah. You know, it's obvious Paul's emphasis is the greeting of one another in a brotherly Christian way, a holy brotherly Christian way. Our culture, that might get a little weird. Yeah, well, you know, you made the joke, but (laughs) this shows it, right? If we did, people would be like, oh, what are they doing? It wouldn't communicate like, oh, they love each other. It would communicate like, that's weird. And people would feel uncomfortable, which is the opposite of what Paul's trying to say. Sure. 
Sure, or or a similar again in Acts fifteen. The the it was really central time in the church's history where a lot of these major issues were being brought up in terms of do we have to be Jews essentially and be saved? What what does the church really need? And the command is giving out is given out from James and the apostles. No, that's not what needs to happen. We couldn't bear that burden, as Peter said. Christ has saved us. Gentiles get saved just like the Jews through faith. But he says, but we would also recommend that you don't eat things, sacrifice idols, and you remember poor people. So those are commands to obviously give out, but the emphasis there again is it's not in relation to salvation. It's in relation to the church's witness and the type of witness we're supposed to have in the world that we live in. So, you know, the Paul is going to directly then say to these uh, Corinthian believers that, yeah, you can go buy the meat from the market and eat it in your house. Like, that's fine and stuff. So there, there's there's definitely nuance in how we read some of the things that are given at particular times to particular people in various places in the Bible. Yeah, that that example of the meat offered to idols is particularly interesting because it specifically says in Acts 15, the apostles say, do not do this. And then Paul says, you can do this. And that would seem like a contradiction until you realize that the principle of loving each other was the timeless truth that everyone needed to to follow. And the specific way the Christians needed to love each other was actually going to vary from context to context. And so Paul lays that out pretty specifically in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. It might have sounded to some people in the book of Acts, if they just heard the, uh, the apostles' announcement, they might have said, well, I think it's pretty clear that you're not allowed to eat food offered to idols, or that's what they said. But then Paul comes along and actually teaches in, a, in a, a deeper, more specific way in 1 Corinthians. Well, yes, don't eat. The point the apostles are making is we're going to have real relational problems if people are just indiscriminately eating food offered to idols in the in the church and, and general culture that we're in. But the issue is not the food offered idols. The issue is loving each other in practical, real ways in the body of believers. And that's, so that's the same issue with the holy kiss. And uh, I think it's related to the things that we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 11 as well. So, and really, Mike, one of the things you brought out is that all of Corinthians, the whole first Corinthians, letter to the to the Corinthians, the first one, is working this way. He's dealing with what we keep saying, timeless truths, the big truths, mm-hmm. and he's addressing issue after issue yeah. in that way. And I think that's a great point about about the letter. Yeah, they, they're, they're particular issues, which they also wrote to him about, to ask about, right. were symptoms of the larger problems. So Paul is giving them those larger essential things and then Basically, you know, we. I think people, particularly if you're a person who wants to please Jesus, you you want clear lines, right? You, right. You want to know, like, am I doing the thing that's right? So, really clear commands are nice for that. But when Paul lays out certain things, like we need to really love one another, 
and knowledge can puff you up. And it, it isn't just about whether you know the idol's real or not. It's about whether you're stumbling your brother or whether you're participating in things with demonic spiritual forces. The, those become issues that you have to weigh things out from almost moment to moment in what's happening. And a lot of times we'd rather not have to weigh things out or need wisdom or depend on the Lord. Yeah. And the Bible just doesn't give us that leeway. The Bible actually just assumes the, the reality that the Holy Spirit lives in a believer's life. And we are going to have to many times in our life lean on him and weigh things out in various situations. Take the things that are clear that the Bible commands and then weigh out the rest and what those things look like in really practical life. That we got to be careful some of the lines that we draw, how sharp they are. Yeah, it's a funny paradox because we all appreciate right off the bat that Christianity isn't about keeping rules, that there's not these like straight jackets we have to live in. Yeah. But then... I think we all also know there's this other thing that happens where we're like, well, just tell me what to do. And there are times, you know, in, in Corinthians, Paul specifically, first Corinthians, Paul says, you cannot go to a temple and participate in idol worship. Uh, but that's what the old Testament, you're not, not being allowed to worship idols was always a main yes. command. <laughs> and Paul's point is, yeah. it's not a random rule. There's real spiritual, spiritual realities there. You can't yeah. go participate in, in what's what has to do with demons you and he's kind of like you should know this corinthians yes. but then if a corinthian turned to paul and said okay cool so i'll just never eat any meat ever offered to others ever that's the rule paul would say wait a second that no because what are you gonna do like every piece of meat you look at in the market or in someone's house but was this offered to an idol and paul's like no buy whatever you want to buy and eat it go to someone's house eat whatever they put in front of you if they make it about the idol now you can but paul's point is you don't need me to give you that kind of rule about me. And this really gets us into sort of really the heart of this whole thing. Jesus is constantly pushing us through the scriptures as Christians to not need all the rules, to live out of love. And that is hard, but you realize that's part of the maturity that he's trying to draw us to. Uh, for, so one of the examples we thought, Mike, of was communion. You would think something as important as how the church takes communion would be spelled out. I mean, this is yeah. this is one of the things we're commanded to do. And, yes. and another thing, not to tangent, but if head coverings was a command for the entire church, I forget if you brought this out, you probably did, it would be literally put on the same level as baptism is communion. I think you yeah. could actually say that, but yeah. it's a great point. Yeah, and we see, just real, real quick to cut in, Brian, the Remember our little formula, right? Communion, established by Christ, yes. commanded by him, practiced in the book of Acts, and expounded on in the epistles. Like yep. we see all the same thing with baptism, right? Same thing with, you could say, adultery, you know? Or yes. there are certain things that are very, yeah, yes. they're very clear. Christ commanded them. They're, again, practiced in the book of Acts, and then. They're expounded on in the epistles, the things that the apostles wrote about. They touched on those things. Lying, you know, there. So it's not, you know, you can start to say some of these things and 
And then people are like, well, this is just all about the heart then? Or no, 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 There's there are clear commands. Yes. But this whole discussion is how do we weigh that out? And like, like Brian was saying, communion is one that it's pretty clear, but there's only certain things that are clear about it. Right. Right. So again, you would think something that important, that clear, we all have to do this. This is a command. It would be told us exactly what it means to do, how to do it. We have the example of Jesus. He's at a meal. He takes some bread. He seems to pass it around, but all he says is like, eat it and remember me. And so, again, we're told uh, that we have to remember Jesus when we do it. We're told that we have to consider other believers while we do it. That's written to the Corinthians. We're told we have to acknowledge our oneness while we do it. And that we're supposed to seriously examine, examine ourselves before or when we do it. Am I living in sin? Have I, has my life reflect the truth that Jesus was crucified for my sins and I'm about to publicly proclaim and remember? But again, we're not told how often to do it. Uh, when or what part of the church service we should do it in, uh, exactly how we have to do it or exactly what kind of bread or, you know, wine or juice we need to use. And if you, if we say, well, why wouldn't we be told that it's gotta be because those aren't the important things to God. And that what is important is that we're, we have a changed heart or changed hearts and we're doing the things Christ commanded out of love for God and love for each other. And so these types of things push us back to the heart of what Jesus taught and modeled for us in 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 the 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 new covenant, right? So Romans 13, you know, owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul then lists a bunch of the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, don't bear false witness. He lists a bunch of them. And then he just says They're all summed up in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says that great line, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And we can imagine, I can imagine, I think I can just so easily imagine myself as an Old Testament believer. Sometimes I get scared I can even even imagine myself as a Pharisee. Uh, It would have probably sounded so weird to, you know, 613 commands, keep them, to say, oh no, just you'll love each other by fulfilling the law. And like you said, Mike, if someone heard that and thought, so uh, so it just, just it, none of it matters? No, that's not the point is, I will keep the commands of God and I'll know how to keep them and I'll keep, I even want to say the right ones in the right way at the right times if the love out of my changed heart is what's actually shaping my actions. And so that's what the Christian life is about. Jeremiah 33 God tells Israel who had the old covenant that the new covenant would be about a law on their hearts and minds. And then Jesus taught that his commandment that he was going to write on our hearts was that we would love one another. John 15, uh, Matthew 22, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then you get like, you know, the fruit of the spirit. Against such there is no law or Romans 7. You were there a few weeks ago, Mike. Uh, we've del- been del- Paul writes, we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness, that's a funny word, the oldness of the letter. So the, the, you know, what's taught by Jesus, practiced in the book of Acts and expounded upon by the apostles in the letters is this divine direction drawing us up to the heart of God expressed through our hearts in love. 
and thereby keeping the commands of God in the way that he actually wants them kept. And not, I think that the human tendency in all of us is to misinterpret what are, as Jesus said, the weightier matters of the law, focus on minimal things, and then fight about those things, which is, and God's like, that's the opposite of what my law is supposed to produce. The biggest deals are loving God and loving your neighbor. And one of the things, you know, I taught through, and you taught Deuteronomy to senior high just a little bit ago, Mike. Uh, I was teaching the same passage in young adults. And I, I think what I finally realized is those Old Testament laws are still helpful if we see them as instructions on how to love each other and then it really strips away any you know weird old cultural things or arguments about them they might just help me know how to love my brother if i get in a situation where i'm like you know my my truck brake went out and it rolled backwards and smashed up his car i don't have to actually Re, you know, reimburse them for that, do I? And I might read an Old Testament law that's like, you know, if your ox tramples your neighbor's field, you know, you have to make it good. Like, oh, no, I, my stuff, doing things to my neighbor is a matter of love. It's not that I have a law to keep. It's, you know, you need to love your neighbor by helping him out because you actually caused him loss. And so there might be practical things that the word helps us with, but the issue is clear from the New Testament. It's about it's about the love of God coming out in practical ways. And so I think we see that in a lot of these, these we'll call them commands in the New Testament yeah. that are more culturally conditioned. Yeah, so it's dangerous, you know, it's dangerous, and I think people see this and they feel this, to take something that the scripture does not emphasize and make it a command for every believer. So, you know, we see this with, baptism or communion you know if i say there has to be one cup and there has to be one piece of bread and then you know christianity fights over all things and i have to take the bread and dip it in the cup when i take it and if you don't do that you're not taking communion correctly and even then isolate and make segments of the body of christ over it you begin to feel like this isn't loving. It's not loving. And then some people even champion that isolation. Say, we're the only ones who get this or who do this. And if we don't do this, then... And you realize there's something not in the character of Christ happening here. Or you should, as a believer, you should begin to wonder and feel that. And it's because there's there's been an overemphasis of I'll, I'll say again a symptom rather than what the main thing that God actually wants to see is, which is again love to Him and love to others, expressed through the various commands. Because the two aren't in conflict. Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." So we would be keeping communion. But we don't make a lot of stipulations where the Bible doesn't make stipulations. So uh, just, you know, for our fellowship, if you're wondering how come we do certain things or don't do certain things, a lot of times the answer is going to be very simple because the Bible doesn't have anything direct to say on it. Yeah. So, you know, some of our practice we can shift a little bit. Because the reality is we just want to do what's best to minister to our body. And... So we we don't believe that commanding head coverings is a part of that because we don't see that scripturally in the same way as communion. We see communion as something that's necessary and has to happen. But again, 
how and how often and some of those things we don't make an emphasis of. What we make an emphasis of is the things that Christ did tell us, our examination, our love for others, our remembering of him and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Same with baptism. Yeah, it, it's and it's so interesting that as soon as we lose focus on the correct priorities in these matters, exactly what breaks down is love. Like you said, it's factions form in an outgroups form around things that are supposed to be instruments of unity. Communion, remembering the Lord's body and blood is supposed to function as a great unifier for the entire body of Christ and can in fact function that way if we're not going to come up with extra rules the scripture doesn't have. If we're willing to leave those rules aside, then we can be one with each other. And so, you know, is it going to create division around things that don't matter, right? You know, the world has a a counterfeit version of this because they say that they'll say the same kind of sentence. You need to love everyone or you're going to create division and we should be all about unity. But they do it in areas where the scripture is very clear. Like, here are the guidelines. And the world wants to love across the boundaries that the world calls sin and then call that unity. But the Bible says, no, that's not love. You're actually harming each other by including sin into your definition of love. So there are times when Christians have to sort of draw what feel to the world to be very clear lines. And it is going to necessarily then, I guess you would say, divide people who refuse to expel that kind of sin from their life. But that's a counter, like that's a counterfeit version of where Jesus comes in and says, here's something that can unify you. There's one baptism. You look at that brother or sister, were you baptized in the name of Christ? Yes, I was. Well, maybe you go to a different denomination, but we, we, are, we are one. We have one baptism. Do you remember the body and blood of Christ? Do you take the cup? Yes, I do. Well, maybe you do it in a little different way or with a different frequency or in a different building, but we are one. These are unifiers. And uh, it's pretty clear that some of these other issues, if we're not careful with them, would function as dividers instead. Yeah. And that's because they're not on the same order as these commands of Christ. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, we just think there's not a ton of things like that, but you will run into things like this through the scripture. Head coverings is a great example of it. Uh, again, the scriptures were written to specific people. First Corinthians was written to to the church at Corinth, but it was inspired for the church of all time. So we we hold both of those together. And really it has that immediate context, but then it has the whole the whole Bible context where the whole Bible, every part of it was written to a specific people, but for all time. God knew that he was putting this thing together for his church. And that he was going to have this there for us to learn and live off of, particularly those of us at the end of the age. So, again, we, we would say you're trying to weigh these things out. Great little formula for it. Again, is it commanded there by Jesus? Do we see that in his uh, in the Gospels? Is it practice in the book of Acts? Is it expanded on in the epistles? If I can see those things, then it's pretty safe to say, hey, yeah, no, this is a command. So this is something for every Christian in every day and age. Yeah, and if someone comes to you trying to tell you have to keep some rule you never heard anyone keeping before, and they point to, I guess, some verse that they say it says it, 
you can just apply that formula and you can go, yeah. wait a second, I don't know if I need to do this. Yes. Let me think about how this works. Yeah. Yes. I, I remember Norm Geisler sharing the story, who was an apologist and a, a theologian, of being a young guy sharing the gospel. And a drunk dude walked over, over to him, said, let me see that Bible, and pulled his Bible open and pointed to a verse that says, Jesus said, see, go and tell no man, oh, yeah. and shut the Bible and <laughs> gave it back to him. And he said he didn't have an answer because uh, he seemed like a command that he didn't know how to respond to. And he said, well, I got an answer, you know, right. and he said, I've been seeking answers ever since. So you can always take a verse and put it out of context yes. to somebody. Yep. And I think more and more, we see more and more of this. It actually is not getting less. It's getting more. It's getting weirder. And so we have to be, uh, we have to be taught by the Lord, uh, by the way the scriptures are written. And God has given us all kinds of helps. And just familiarizing yourself with the way, especially the New Testament works, mm. is probably one of the best defenses against that sort of thing. Yep. That's there all we go. got. That's it. <laughs> see, see you guys. next time.